Welcome to Let's Talk Period, the podcast for women who want real talk, raw stories, and reputable information. Each week, we'll be interviewing thought leaders in the women's health sphere, sharing stories, building our toolkits with tips, information, and strategy. Hi, I'm Jess. I'm a mum, a stationary addict, director of a women's health charity, and love a good glass of Prosecco. Hey there, I'm Isabella and I'm a former teacher, now student nurse. I'm sassy and I'm hella basic when it comes to my sushi order. Together, we're on a mission to empower women through education and support. It's about developing a toolbox for your health. Some weeks you might hear from both of us together, other times it might just be one of us leading the conversation. Now, Now, let's let's get get into it and and talk period. This episode of Let's Talk Period is brought to you by Strip Bear and My Lady Box. Give your lady box the attention she deserves. This week, I sat down with the lovely Jess from Ballarat, who identifies as a non-binary person. In this conversation, we discuss what identifying as a non-binary person means, Jess's experience being diagnosed with endometriosis, and what it's like to hear it's a female-only condition as well as Jess's thoughts on how we can be more inclusive with respects to the non-binary and trans community. Now, here's Jess. Welcome to Let's Talk Period. I'm so excited to have you on our little podcast. So exciting. (laughs) We're so glad to have you here. Um, So what we're going to do for each podcast guest that we have on our show is we're going to ask them what's one thing that you have done to nourish your body today. So can you share with our listeners what that one thing is? Today or in general? Uh, In general or today. If you haven't done anything today, you can share um, (laughs) in general that you like to do. Yeah. Um, I'd say today, I mean, most days I usually just try and... um, keep myself I just try and keep myself sort of like calm like there's no like uh you know I'm used to the most people are used to just kind of living that really rushed like busy life with work and it never really worked out in terms of like pain or anything and caught me in a probably like a better day to talk about um periods and stuff because I'm actually struggling a lot with pain um this week so I've just been Mm -hmm. trying to keep it really just like um just slow paced like not pushing myself too much making sure like um I do a lot of like intuitive eating so like I'm just eating what my body kind of thinks it needs um rather than forcing myself to like eat you know the standard meals every day I just eat when I want to and if I don't feel hungry I won't um and yeah just taking it easy I think that's the best thing for me um there's nothing that really like helps specifically like there's no like foods or like I don't go to yoga or anything like that I've tried so much to like ease the pain and like to nourish my body in those ways but it just ends up being a lot easier to relax and just listen to my body and how it feels definitely of course no I've heard a lot about intuitive eating of recent Mm. and um, one of my friends was actually talking about it and she was explaining like um, a hunger scale that she uses and that's how she identifies mm. how hungry she's feeling and if she actually wants to eat or if she's just bored or um, anything like yeah. that. So, no, I think that's a really 
good tool to nourish your body. So especially um, in like a business like sort of job, you're kind of like sitting down all the time. You're not really like focusing on you know what you've eaten of lately and now that I've just started like a sort of admin job like I feel like I'm always sitting down so I'm always going to have that quite forward like sense where I'm not going to be you know um as active as I usually would so I tend to go to like eating a lot more because I'm just forward so it's a lot easier for me to then just sit there and I feel like I'm in a lot more pain that way and I have more problems when I'm just eating for the sake of it. Mm. so our next thing that we um sort of talk about is talking about having like a toolkit of therapies strategies and items that might help us to manage our health um so i know you were just speaking of intuitive eating um is there any other sort of tools or um strategies that you would recommend for our listeners to add to their toolkit that might help them to manage their health or um you're sort of just going with what's working best for you with uh taking it less stressful approach yeah well that was the like the biggest part of I guess trying to adapt to the I guess like just the constant struggles of having you know these problems with my period and that sort of thing um it's a different sort of pain and it's a different type of problem so it's become sort of like I said you know intuitive eating just taking it slow um and just listening to my body and making sure that I'm not overexerting myself um I wrote down a couple of different things like um uh just you know the intuitive eating is a huge thing um and also just taking time to like just go outside and do things that I usually wouldn't do Um, It's really hard for me to kind of like pinpoint things for specific people because I, for once, like when I first um, was diagnosed with um, my menstrual problems, I just cut out pretty much most foods. I went completely vegan and that really halved my my pain altogether. Like, and it's really helped me in the long run um, to nourish my body and put in the things that my body the way it does but it's not for everyone and it's definitely yeah. not something that I can expect anyone to do because money-wise it's very expensive to live that way and also a lot of people who have a lot of different um, you know health problems can't necessarily live on that kind of diet but um, at the end of the day like I had doctors telling me like you should go and lose a bunch of weight and you should go to the gym every day, you should do yoga. And I did lose like 30 kilos and I did do all these things and none of it helped. And at the end of the day, listening to my body was the biggest thing to do and just taking the time to know what fuels me and what triggers me and that sort of thing. Yeah, of course. No, I really think it does come back to that listening to your body. So yeah. Um, So for those who might not know or some of our community who might not know, you identify as a non-binary person. So could you sort of just talk us through what that means um, for people who might not know? Yeah, so non-binary in general means sort of like you never have adapted or really um, felt comfortable in a certain label or 
you know, you don't feel comfortable within the gender that you were born with. Um, I personally don't believe in labels. Like I don't, even with non-binary, it's like a very slippery slope for me because I'm like, I don't really care. Because it's still um, a label. I've never, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I've never really um, taken to anything. Like I have always had such a problem growing up um, with, you know, just um, adapting to like the sort of societal norms of being female and what it is to be a woman and that sort of thing. Even, you know, growing up with heaps of medical issues and then having to then tell like doctors and stuff that and then having to then come to terms with the fact that you don't believe that you belong in the body that you are um but you don't necessarily fit into any sort of scale and then throwing in that I grew up predominantly well not even predominantly I grew up um uh sweet like I came out when I was 18 so I came out as uh queer mm. when I was 18 so it was very like I don't like I'm not you know like I have all of these different things that people can check labels on but at the end of the day like I don't I just uh, I feel comfortable in my body wearing what I wear and um it really yeah it really is a, like a big thing that's been coming out the last couple of years as well not many people know about it um but yeah and so have you found that that lack of a label per se has caused contention for you? So um, for people don't, that don't know, I think you live in Ballarat, if my research serves yeah. me correctly. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And so have you found that living in more of a rural sort of town or setting, have you found that people have been less accepting of that lack of a label? Absolutely. Um yeah, because it's definitely a lot more of like a um a a better sort of like understanding in this year. But in the past couple of years, like leading up to um this year almost, it's been constant combat of, you know, having to explain to people what it means and, you know, walking down the street and just dressing the way that you feel comfortable in, not necessarily is something that a lot of other people feel comfortable either seeing or um, they don't understand and there's a there's a lot of that lack of understanding in um, definitely like you said a rural um, town um, if there has been pushback definitely um, you automatically get pushed as soon as you um, tell them and they put you on a label and they ask you all these questions like you know, as soon as you say non-binary, people think, oh, well, they relate that to um, being transgender. And it's just a sort of like a, everything has a negative connotation and everyone has sort of like their own opinion. Um, but it's just, it comes down to the fact that no one's really done enough research and there's not enough um, information out there about any of that. Yeah. And so, like you've already mentioned um throughout so far you are diagnosed with endometriosis so can you talk us through your experience with that and sort of how you knew something wasn't quite right and then on top of that what navigating the world of getting that diagnosis was like for a person who isn't really um identifying as female but 
isn't really wanting to identify with any label per se, so they just want to be a person yeah. and not identify as female. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so when I was in high school, I was um, I had the biggest problems there. I had um, huge bladder issues um, and huge like a huge problem that impacted my um, high school education. So I started um, at the age of like 13, 14, started wearing like incontinence pads because I couldn't, like I couldn't control my bladder and I had absolutely no idea um, what was going on. And back then, like you don't get told much. You just get told you need to go on the pill and that's it. Um, I pretty much was told that and no one could offer me any help or suggestion on how to fix that issue. Um, I saw a, I think it was a, a urologist for years um, because I believed it to be a urinary problem. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was like 18 maybe, maybe even 19, where I finally saw a gynecologist and um, that was, around the same time that I went, I started having like incredible pain because that's the only like, not downside, but with endometriosis, you can either have no symptoms or all of the symptoms. Um, And I was having no symptoms up until age 18, age 19, where I was in incredible pain. I woke up one day and I literally thought that my appendix had burst. My mum took me to the hospital. And um, I was told then and there, like when they did a ultrasound, that they couldn't find my left ovary. It was completely covered in cysts. Um, wow. And then they just said, you'll need to see a specialist. And that was pretty much it. They just sent me on my way um, because I also declined to have an internal ultrasound, which they then said, okay, well, we need you to sign a piece of paper to say that you've declined this offer. Um, because they were just so unreasonable back then with any other type of like alternative way to kind of seek a result or diagnosis um, because they probably just thought that, you know, at that age I was carrying on or faking it and that was pretty much my whole life was just having to explain to medical professionals yeah. that it's not in my head, it's real. Um, and then, yeah, so after all that, when I finally saw a gynecologist, she told me that um, the endometriosis, most of it was sitting on my uterus. Um, so, and around my, like around that area, causing issues with my bladder um, and causing the incontinence problem. So I had, you know, like six, you know, from 13 on to 19, I was constantly like not going to sleepovers and never going out because I could, I was scared, you know, I was embarrassed and that pretty much took my whole childhood away. Yeah, that would be really hard and that trauma from the doctors sort of saying you're just carrying on, it's not that bad and then having to miss out on all those formative experiences, that would be really hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, yeah, being non-binary, it was so difficult because every time I went to the gynecologist or any doctor, it was, this is a female problem, you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, 
it was treated with hormones after hormone, more hormones just um, causing more problems. And the only issue that um, most people with endometriosis will know is that um, it's all just about a, like, it will just give you an option to have a hysterectomy and that was the only cure apparently. Um, Which we know so isn't was, a cure. <laughs> exactly, I know. And that's the other thing. Like, and it's not even from medical professionals. It's from literally friends and family, people that genuinely obviously care about you but are saying, like, you should just do this. And I did at one point say to the doctors, hey, because also, you know, being gay, I don't have a use for my eggs as much as I would have if I was straight and I never believed that I would have children naturally um I have been told that I can't have children naturally so I just said to them like take them you know freeze them and I was pretty much flat out declined that because I should have children naturally and that's a woman's mm. right rah, rah, rah. yeah so. so just not having that control over your own body that would be really hard yeah and that's pretty much a story of pretty much anyone's life women anyone one um even people of the other communities you know lgbt it's just constantly people just telling you what to do with your body and it's just heartbreaking Mm, definitely i'm just popping in here to tell you about today's sponsors stripped bear and my lady box give your lady box the attention she deserves and each month receive a box of essentials and extras delivered straight to your door To celebrate the launch of our podcast, we've teamed up with the ladies over at Stripped Bear and My Lady Box to give you the chance to win a free prize pack valued at over $200. How cool is that? All details for how to enter are over on our Instagram at letstalkperiodau. Thank you so much to Stripped Bear and My Lady Box for helping to make this episode of Let's Talk Period possible. Now, back to the conversation. So when you go to the doctor's office and um, I'm assuming you've got to fill out a form the first time you go there, do you tick a box? Like, is it just male, female? Do they give you the option to just write a gender there? Or did you um, specify to your um, gynecologist that you identified as neither male or female? Or what was that sort of like? I literally... I even wrote this in my notes, like the fact that even if you're like subscribing to like a website or something, they ask the agenda mm. just beyond me. But I, you're right. Like I would literally, I wouldn't even pick a box. I would just leave it. And then if they did ask, I would just say, I prefer not to explain to them. Um, yeah. And it never caused any issues. Um, they're like maybe once or twice where people would ask and it's just that sort of like, okay, well, to, you know, um, it, uh, avoid an argument or avoid that awkward conversation. I'll just pick female, like, because they yeah. just, they then get really confused. And even with my gynecologist, I didn't ever really um, explain to her, you know, my sort of beliefs on my... I guess you know my identity or even like um me being gay or anything like that also because um the gynecologist I was seeing was Indian so it was a very much cultural difference as well so I'm like I don't 
it's like that thing like I don't want to offend you but like you're supposed to be a medical professional to help me so yeah and Mm. you just you learn and this probably speaks like really true for most people with endo or anything like that you just learn to uh, you know make people happy to sit there and be uncomfortable even with non-binary you just sit there with the uncomfortability of making other people happy so that you don't have to explain yourself yeah that would get exhausting after a while it is I can imagine yeah yeah exactly I guess the next part of that is really just how does your voice in this space, how is that contributing to those who are seen in a typically marginalised community? So like you said, there's not that much awareness or people aren't speaking about it. There's not that much information about people who don't specifically identify as male or female um, but identify as gender fluid or gen- um, or identify as a non-binary person or just refuse to have a label defining them at all so what sort of conversations have you been able to start and how could we um, the let's talk period community assist you with this I I find it so I had no idea like for the last couple of years but you know I just I knew that you know not like the LGBTQ thing group was growing a lot more than it had um but with the non-binary I just didn't even have a label until like you know maybe last year where I just started thinking like oh like should I research about this so Mm. my voice was very much like very quiet in that community for such a long time because I had no idea and it didn't take, it took actually up until um, that interview I did with Bridget Huffway on Triple J Goodnight that I actually spoke to her and, you know, she put a label on it and she was even saying, like, I messaged her afterwards and we were talking about, you know, the feedback that she was getting and she said, I had absolutely no idea that this was such a huge um, community and, you know, um, the endometriosis and all of those you know um illnesses have been targeted as like predominantly women's productive issues like we don't ever think about it as you know a non-gender issue it's very mm. much like no, this is a you know I had no idea and after that you know I started bringing it up to my friends and family and I said look you know how currently you know I explained to them even the stories that um Bridget had with um, I think it's Corey Smith um, yeah. from the US. Yeah, I had absolutely no idea that if you um, have transitioned, that you know this is still a problem. Like it's you know we don't have a cure for endometriosis or anything like that. So that was sort of for us to know that and for us to have that information was wild to me because I had absolutely no idea you know how this thing travels, how it goes. So just speaking up about like you know interviewing people like you are and speaking up about these sorts of things gives people more of an opportunity to you know instead of reading like what which of what I've done most of my life is reading medical notes about endometriosis is actually reading articles about celebrities and people that you know like you know having people like Bridget Huffway and other people of like the YouTube community and you know what you guys are doing to speak up about endometriosis and um, polycystic ovary syndrome and all that sort of stuff like 
you want to see it from other perspectives and people that you know that you can relate to. So just getting the word out and interviewing people with their day-to-day lives is the most that you can do because I wouldn't have known otherwise because I don't know what to research. Mm, Definitely. I think there's an art in people sharing their stories and people want to listen to other everyday people and their experiences. So, no, we are very thankful that you're sharing your story with us. Um, And then, yeah, that segment from Bridget with you and Corey, that was so eye-opening for me. And I reflected internally a lot um, myself about the labels we use. Um, We always say it's one in 10 women affected by endometriosis. And that's really secluding a whole entire group of people who are also experiencing that pain and that condition. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the other thing as well. Like I was so used to saying stuff like that, like one in 10 women, you know, but I was even with just saying it out loud, I was excluding myself. I had no idea. I didn't think of anything like that. I just, we're so pushed into that societal, like, and it's so, we don't know it. Um, we don't know any different and you know I have friends and family around me that you know don't use certain pronouns and that sort of thing to me Um, only people close to me do because they know that it's important to me but if I'm not going to bring anyone up on it because I feel like until we you know are at that stage where it's more of a societal norm. Like I'm not going to pressure anyone into thinking otherwise, you know, it doesn't do any good for anyone to be pushed into that. But if we do, like, as I said, bring it up into conversations and, you know, people listen to podcasts a lot more than they used to um, these days. You know, if we bring it into conversations like that, where it's so, you know, in the back of their minds, they'll start saying, they'll start bringing that to the front of their mind without even knowing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, is there, a, not statistic, but a way that you would um, sort of phrase that statistic yourself? So instead of us saying one in 10 women affected by endometriosis, um, what would you prefer to see it be said as? I generally refer to like just humans. Like, you know, a lot of like people would probably say, you know, one in 10 people. I definitely think it is better to say, you know, removing even just like that people sentence and putting it as humans because at the end of the day, like we're not, we don't want to be mentioned as a statistic altogether. So if we say like, you know, one in 10 humans, like that means everyone, like that's pretty much all of us, you know. Um, And it puts sort of like a more of a, it's real at that point rather than, you know, people feel so distant, humans feel a bit more closer. It's sort of easier to identify with because yeah, at the end of the exactly. day, everybody is a human um, and yeah. every person identifies with being a human or I should hope that they do yeah. in some form. <laughs> yeah, in some form. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I like that. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, something for us all to be mindful of when we're mentioning conditions like that regarding reproductive health and not just for typically female conditions, um, but also typically male conditions as well, um, something to consider as well. What would you sort of like to see change for sufferers of endo who who don't identify as a female and also in regards to their reproductive health? So even if they don't suffer from endo, but 
um, just generally if they need to go and visit a specialist or see their GP regarding something that's typically women's related, but they're not identifying with that gender of female. Representation, honestly. Like I said, you know, having people like Corey and even, um, you know, the Let's Talk Period Instagram, like Bridget's Instagram, like everyone out there just speaking up about um, is so important. And I think the more people speak up about it, like we said earlier, um, you'll get that very, you know, natural change where people kind of do relate to it and then people can come out and share their story. You know, I had no idea about, you know, about Corey until Bridget um, interviewed him. And I think it's a huge change to have that sort of shift um, in representation to then include everyone, you know. Um, it's, it's important to just talk about it, I think. Representation, um, you know, more out there for people to kind of look at. You know, we've got a lot of... Um, you know, newspaper articles and stuff like that more out there about endometriosis. And, um, you know, if we start doing stuff like that where people can't really avoid it, whereas, you know, like we're used to kind of advertising on TV and stuff like that, put it in places where, you know, it just shifts in naturally. You know, podcasts are offered where they just talk about it as, you know, as it should be, like a natural thing, like an everyday topic. Because we're so used to just talking about very, you know, old school societal norms and, you know, what happens if, you know, this boy likes me. Like, no, let's talk about what the hell happens if I've got this and if I feel like I don't belong in this body, you know. Like, mm -hmm. let's talk about that. Like, I think it should be definitely something that needs to be talked about in schools as well, um, just brought to everyone's attention as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And do you sort of think there might, like, you would be looking for more of a change within the medical field or you just think as a whole society we all need more awareness and just to bring that conversation up organically and just continue to let it flow? I think the medical field is literally the last place that is actually changing. You know, what when we think about it, it's, you know, I still, like you said, you know, if I go to the doctors and I'm filling out forms, there are still forms that say, you know, male or female. Like there's rarely, you know, more now these days um, where you may have an option that says um, prefer not to say, which is probably the best that you're going to get at most. Um, it's, it's definitely something that needs to happen organically so that we just don't think about it, so that we just automatically go, oh, we should probably update that. Or, you know, um, this person probably should might feel comfortable with being identified as this. Like, it doesn't need to be a whole thing because that's the last thing that I guess anyone needs is having this huge change just happen straight away, you know, to people that still might not even be able to come to terms with our identity or um, feel comfortable visiting the doctors about anything like that. Um, it doesn't need to be in your face. It just needs to happen as if, you know, like it generally has, you know, we shouldn't have to be made to feel like we're completely different. And these problems, you know, that we have um, are people, they have 
everyone has them and we're just being secluded because of you know our identities and making it a lot harder for us so I think it needs to become organic so that we can definitely just continue to live our lives the way that we always have um, and without a huge change and huge development at all. I agree definitely Um, so I've just got one more question for you Jess so where do you think that and I'm going to say this with my air quotes um, (laughs) who can't can't see me um, where do you think the women's health field is going in respects to conditions such as endometriosis or adenomyosis or PCOS so um, those sort of conditions that you need to have had a uterus or have a uterus currently to actually be able to have? Yeah. Um, I honestly, like, it's 2020. We're always adapting. Like, I think that um, the mentality behind women, like my air quotes as well, um, (laughs) women's health isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just needs to be a bit more inclusive. I definitely believe that we are working towards a labourless society um, as it should be. Um, We're on the way there. Um, I think that um, many of our members of the community are seeing such huge changes in the medical industry already. New things to the medical society. Yeah. Um, So I think it's definitely becoming it's we're getting there it's getting there slowly um you know the government is giving us a lot more funding you know there are more um you know there's a lot more talk about um our community in many different ways and even like the inclusivity in um just even like shows that talk about medical stuff like they're including people that um are a part of that community you know whether they be trans or um anything like that I believe that you know we are bringing it to the the front of everyone's um mind and just putting it out there that you know it is a thing um and as long as we all feel comfortable you know combating that and you know with the government funding like if that all happens I think that we will work towards a society that um allows us to feel more comfortable with you know um being who we are and you know we're working slowly with you know like the non-gendered bathrooms and stuff like that and even in most hospitals they have that now um but I think that you know just even removing label is probably the first step to making people feel a lot more comfortable seeking the medical help that they need um because it's just like I said at the start the labels really make it a lot harder because you just have that negative connotation of well I don't feel like I identify as a woman so why do I need to go Mm. to this you know I predominantly don't believe that I should go to you know a women's health clinic because I don't believe that that's where I sit um you know on a day-to-day basis so it's very much just like making it that slightest bit comfortable for those who believe in that um and you know, having that discussion because I don't even think that most medical professionals know that endometriosis can travel without a uterus. So mm. having that open discussion and making sure that um, making sure that um, they're also educated in the adapting changes and yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. I definitely think we're going in the right space. So I'm glad to hear. Yeah, I hope you think so too. Is there anything else you want to say to our listeners? I just would say, like, don't give up hope. Like, honestly, it does take a while to get that diagnosis. And sometimes it feels kind of hopeless to be, um, you know, in a, like, a world that necessarily you don't fit in. But you just keep pushing and pushing. And most, I, I say this very lightly, but most doctors know what's best for you, but you also know what's best for you like you know your body so um just push for the you know the treatment that you believe and if you don't believe that the doctor has the best interest for you get a second opinion it doesn't hurt um I believe that that's always stuck in my mind where I just sat with the same doctor because I believe that you know I'm paying them the money they know what's going on um Mm -hmm. just you are in control of everything just make sure that you feel comfortable and you know the best outcome don't settle for you know um, something like a quick fix, you know, do your research as well. Um, research about doctors, research about um, your illnesses, re- like even go into like Facebook groups. I'm sure there's many Facebook groups, you know, surrounding um, the community community that you're in um, that will tell you like amazing doctors around your area, you know, how they've combat um, dealing with the, um, you know, the, roadblocks that you get when you don't have a label um that's all that I can really say (laughs) oh thank you so much for this chat Jess you have been such a delight to have on let's talk period thank you so much for the opportunity though I really appreciate it thank you so much for listening to this episode of let's talk period Let's Talk Period is an independent podcast, so if you like this episode, please hit that subscribe button or follow us on Spotify so you never miss an app. We'd also love it if you'd share a screenshot of you listening on Instagram and tag us. We're on Instagram at Let's Talk Period AU. Let's Talk Period is a production of Quendo, a non-for-profit organisation supporting anyone affected by endometriosis, adenomyosis, PCOS or infertility. Let's Talk Period is produced for educational purposes and the information, recommendations and topics talked about does not constitute medical advice or consider your personal circumstances or medical history.